0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, we are going to... Uh, pause, press pause in the book of John and take a breath for a moment. Maybe, uh, certainly for this week, but maybe even over the next couple of weeks as we prepare for Christmas. We'll just see the Lord leads, but I just felt strongly impressed to go to Psalm 145 this morning. Uh, if you have been with us on Sunday nights, you'll know that last week on Sunday night we attempted uh, to work our way through Psalm 145 and to use that as a, uh, as a prayer guide. Um, we're going to do that tonight, uh, but as I went home last Sunday night, just really uh, burdened about this particular text and the need for all of us to hear uh, what is said in Psalm 145 um, for our own hearts, for the health of our own souls this morning, especially as we Live in the world that we live in, because let's just be honest, we live in a world of total chaos right now. Um, not much feels right about the world that we're in. Um, no matter where you are on one side of the political aisle or the other, um, or how you feel about vaccines or how you feel about uh, government uh, intervention in different ways, one way or another. Not, uh, all of those things considered, we, we all would recognize, I think, that the world's in a mess. And some days it's really hard to get up and continue to remember that God's in control. Uh, this morning, um, and I'm going to use this without permission, but this morning, I just want to share this with you. I, just this morning, I received this meme, um, that says this. I hope that it will display up there, maybe. Yeah, so me, Help me be more like you, Jesus. Jesus gives me sufferings and trials. I saw that going a different way in my mind. (laughs) Um, That's kind of the story, I think, of so much of our life. We we want to follow Jesus, but we didn't see things going exactly that way. That wasn't our plan. And sometimes it's it's hard to wake up and realize at every moment that God is in control. It's hard to remember that. When circumstances seem impossible and we all uh, have been in in seasons like that where we face circumstances where we just we don't have any answers or maybe where we're carrying some unbearable burden and we don't know how we're going to continue to to go on. We don't know how we're going to survive through this and and we just got to continue to trust in the Lord. But trusting in the Lord is easier said than done. And, And these are just difficult days in our life. And it's really easy, isn't it? It's really easy to get wrapped up in the size of our problems, right? Am am I alone in that this morning? You guys feel that with me? It's really easy to get wrapped up, and man, I just don't know how I'm going to make it through. But I want you to hear from God's Word this morning one very big and uh, pervasive truth in the life of the Christian, and in all of life for that matter, And it is what David says in this psalm directly this morning. It is this, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In in a life where it's easy for us to get wrapped up in, great is our problem and so difficult to bear. I want you to say with God's word and with me this morning, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In fact, can we say that together this morning? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. With all of your heart and with all of your soul, say that with me again. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning as we read what David had to say about this very truth? Psalm 145 and verse 1, the Bible says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh, Bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are the great God above all gods. That there is no other name worthy of praise. That there is no other name worthy of honor but the name of Jesus Christ. And we are thankful this morning that Jesus, you came to show us God And to save us and restore us to Him. And we are thankful that today we can trust in You and worship You for all of eternity because of Your grace. But God, we confess this morning that we are prone to wander. That our flesh is weak and we are often guilty of looking at the world around us and saying, if not with our words, certainly with our lives. How great are our problems. Remind us today of your greatness, God, that you are over all things, that nothing, nothing casts a shadow upon you. You are the great God of heaven and you are sovereign. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in you as believers and that as we hear your word proclaimed this morning, if there is one who has not come to know you and trust in you, that today would be the day of salvation in their life. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This is the last Psalm of David. Interestingly, he wrote many of the Psalms, not all of them. You might uh, not be aware of that, but throughout... Uh, the book of Psalms, there are many Psalms written by David, and, and David would often write these whenever he was out in the fields, uh, keeping watch over his flock. Uh, he would write these Psalms as king and submit them to the worship leader of the, the, the nation of Israel, and they would use this Psalm in their worship. Uh, many of these Psalms toward the end called the Psalms of Ascent, and they would actually be used in corporate worship. But this is the last psalm that was actually authored by David. In a sense, then, it serves as kind of his final public words. It's not the last words that he said, but the last words that are public are often the most memorable from a person's life. The things that we remember most are the last things that they said. Now, David did a lot of crying and a lot of complaining. If if you're familiar with the story of or with the, with the Psalms, you'll know as you read through the Psalms that there's all kinds of Psalms where David's concerned about what God's doing in life. And I think we all would kind of kind of uh, uh, identify with David in, in those circumstances and we might look at the world around us and God, and say, God, why, why are your enemies triumphing? Why does it seem that nothing's going right in the world? That's, that would be kind of our, uh, statement today. But here in these final words, David not only issues a psalm of praise, it is a psalm of corporate praise that is more general and more pervasive than anything perhaps he's ever written. Because David, although he was concerned with the things that people were facing in life, David was concerned with the worship of a holy God. He was concerned that God was worshipped in all of his glory and all of his grandeur. And this is what he fights for in this psalm when he says in verse three, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now, I don't know if. These were the final words, in fact, of David. It is the final psalm. But the last thing that he left the people of God with corporately was the fact that God was great and that he was worthy of all praise. He's great and he wants to clarify to the people the greatness of their God. His glory. His majesty, His supreme power, His sovereign authority, His moral perfection or His holiness. They would understand and perceive the greatness of God with greater clarity. That's his goal. He wants them to see how great the God was that they served. And with this full, complete understanding, not just in their mind, but in their senses, a love for this God in His greatness, that they would have a greater and greater sense of it. And that greater sense would compel in them a greater sense of worship or praise. That like a symbol that begins at a very low rumble would just completely swell In their worship that they would that they would have a a swelling sense of praise before a holy God, not just in the songs that they sang and at the words that they spoke corporately, but that their entire life anthem would sing of the praises of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Can I say to us this morning Southwide that this must be true in our gatherings? That as we come together on a Sunday morning, we confess together that God is great. Amen. It must be true that this is always the words on our lips, that that the very center of our gathering is the greatness of our God. And that the result from the least of days to the greatest of days, that the result would be that there would be an outpouring of praise that is unmatched anywhere else in the world. That that would flow out of a time not just of corporate gathering, but that, that our, our praise of a, of a great God would be something that is deep within us. That even in the most private moments of our life, the hidden times where no one else sees, that our hearts would swell in praise for God. In a world where there are such big problems around us, there should be a certain settledness and contentment in the heart of the believer that says no matter how big my problems are, and no matter how big the world's problems are, my God is greater still. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. David had a big view of God. But we... Like David, following in the words of Jesus, we should understand, at least intellectually, we should understand that there is nothing in this world that can overcome our God. And we, more than anyone else in human history, should understand this because we have the best news in all of history. The fact that Jesus has overcome the world. Amen. So we should believe this with all of our hearts even where we've been in the Gospel of John, in John 16, Jesus said, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. He's talking about the coming of his, the, the coming hour of his persecution, his own death, and all of the disciples would abandon him and Jesus would be alone. He said, Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And he says, just like him, in essence, in the world you will have tribulation. But listen to these words. Take heart. I have overcome the world. We live every day with faith in Jesus Christ, because on the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus proved that there is no power that can overcome him. There is no political power, no cultural power, no social power, no emotional power that can ultimately overcome Christ. Jesus has overcome the world. John was so taken up by this. Man, it changed his life so much that when he wrote a letter to the church, he he said, i got to tell the church this. So in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, beloved, do not believe every spirit. He's dealing with false teachers in the day. But he says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So, so he's d- giving them instruction about false teachers. But he says, don't be surprised by this. This is something that is here. He said, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And what he's saying is everything that would rise up against Jesus is also rising up against you. Don't be surprised when you are in a fallen and broken world and you encounter trial and suffering. He said, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. But notice what he says in verse four. Little children, you are from God And have overcome them for he who is in you, that is Christ, is greater than he who is in the world. However great the thing is that you're facing, however insurmountable or impossible or unbearable it feels or it seems, know that his power and his authority and his greatness is over that thing and his grace is sufficient to sustain you believer. He is king and Lord above all kings and lords. He is God above all gods. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Well, the psalm is written in such a way that we would understand these two truths held in harmony. That is that the Lord is great. Great is the Lord. Truth number one. And the Lord is greatly to be praised. The two things that David wants to communicate. Great is the Lord and the Lord is greatly to be praised. And it's composed in such a way that we would see these truths as not just two different truths that we should both believe, but rather that we would see how they are related. The, the result of God being great is that his praise is demanded greatly as well. In other words, as great as the Lord is, proportionately, so should the praises of God's people be great for Him. So you ask the question, how great is God? And you might say, infinitely great. Gloriously great. Above all great. However, we see God is great in proportion. Our praise should respond accordingly. Our praise should also be infinitely great of him. Gloriously great above all great. All praise belongs to Jesus. This is the anthem of the life of the Christian. If we really believe that God is great, you see God is great. Then he is greatly to be praised. Now. We might be tempted to think that our God is sized according to our praise, but that is not the case. Because David says that his greatness is what? What does he say in verse three? His greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable, meaning you could not even begin to imagine how great God is. (laughs) you you think of the most high and lifted up view you could have of god and when you get to heaven mind blown <laughs> totally out of the water nothing like you could have imagined he is far above our thoughts far above our ways he is far greater than we could ever conceive and he is worth far uh, worth worth of far more worship and praise than we could ever conceive that's not what is up for question the question is, will we respond in the way that the text calls us to respond? He is great. And proportionately, he is greatly to be praised. The question is, will you praise him in this way? That's what he's calling the church to do. In fact, not just, not just the people of God. You'll notice in the first three verses, it is essentially a call to praise God. So listen to the description of praise used here. But we're going to get to the end. You're going to see this is not just about the praise of God's people. It is the praise of all people that must praise God. So notice these words. He uses the word extol. I will extol you, my God and King. We we spent some time uh, unpacking this on Sunday night. By the way, it's what led us on a rabbit trail. But the word extol is kind of like the word exalt. The idea of exalting is to lift something up. To exalt God is to put Him in the place where He rightfully deserves to be. He is is high and lifted up. Remember that vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When He was high and lifted up, the train of His robe filled the temple. And Isaiah had only to fall on His face before a holy God because He was a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. God is exalted. We cannot exalt God more than He already is. But to extol Him is to let the words of our mouth and the affections of our heart give pride of place to His exaltedness. It is to throw ourselves into lifting Him up with the words of our mouth and the way that we live our lives. It is to make much of Him and to do so with great affection and joy. To be thrilled about the exaltedness of God. We are to bless his name in verse one, so extol him, bless his name forever and ever. It's to, it's to make much of his name to 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 say that this this name of God is good and it's worthy and it's 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 desirable and it's honored and it is to praise him It is to bless him. It is to praise his name forever, the word praise, to speak, to, to declare his greatness in verse two and to rejoice in that. Verse three, he is greatly to be praised again. Verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another, to commend, to recommend, to give to as, as something that should be, to, should be done, to be honored. So we in our parenting and in our grandparenting, and in our raising children in the church to commend His mighty works to the church, to the children, to one generation after another to continue to praise Him. This, this is an act of praise. Verse 5, meditating on all the day long. I will meditate on your wondrous works, on the splendor of your majesty. Not just on what He's done, but on the goodness and the greatness of what He's done and who He is Every moment of our life, does it drive you, verse 6, to speak of our, of your awesome deeds, declaring we we should open our mouths to tell of His greatness. It is not enough for you to believe and to enjoy His greatness just yourself. You must confess His greatness to the world who must also worship Him. I love verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, goodness and shall sing aloud. The fame of God's goodness spreading to the world. Verse 10, thankfulness. We are right here on the doorstep of Thanksgiving in our nation and we, we are tempted within a world of chaos and destruction to go, what do we have to be thankful for and how can we even be thankful this year? And yet, The works of God give thanks to His name. Even what He's done gives Him gratitude. And we should follow in suit. You get all the way to the end. By the way, the saints shall bless you following in that. You get all the way to the end and David tells us, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. But here's the extent to which he takes this praise, this great praise. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. The praise of every pair of lips on the planet that has ever lived. That's the praise God is worthy of. And not just casual praise, but the highest praise. This is who our God is. And so David says, Great is the Lord. And he says that, In order to invoke the praise of the people. If you see the greatness of God. Here is what you should be doing. Praising Him. Extolling Him. Blessing His name. Thanking Him. Rejoicing in Him. All that we see here in this passage. So David labors in verses 5 through 20. To give us some very clear reasons why the Lord is altogether great. These are not all of them. We could not even exhaust them within the pages of Scripture. And yet we are given just enough to know how great our God is. And David gives us the things that are closest to his heart here in Psalm 145, beginning in verse five. We see that the Lord is great in majesty. Six different things here. The Lord is great in majesty is what we see first in verse five and verse six says on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate the glorious splendor of your majesty, your wondrous works. Then it says they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your And what David is describing here is, is God's work in relationship to His creation in general. Not the very deep personal acts of God, the things that He's done for David specifically or in the history of the nation. He's speaking in grander terms than that. It's not that God has not done those things. It is as if David is sitting out... At one of the most beautiful sunsets he's ever seen. Or on the side of the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon. Or for those of you that like it, the beach. It's as if God is sitting, or David is sitting there and he's beholding the wonder of God and all that he's done. And all that he's done is actually declaring the greatness of God to David. The, The things that he sees are saying, don't look at me, look at God. (laughs) The ocean says, don't look at me, look at God. The mountains say, don't look at me, look at God. The, The sunset says, don't look at me, look at God. See in the greatness of creation, the greatness of our God. And it is a statement about God, the splendor of His majesty, that is that stands alone without the need of anything else. The a picture of his character. The glorious splendor of your majesty is a curious phrase. The glorious splendor of your majesty as if his majesty did not need to be declared. His majesty stands on its own, although it is declared, but nothing makes God majestic. He just simply is. His character stands. What needs to be known is the glorious splendor of His majesty. That is beautiful. That it is desirable. What creation does is it declares the glory of God to us so that we see God in His glory, in His glorious splendor. It shines forth His majesty. And on your wondrous works... Namely, the things that he's done in his creation, in creating it, and in sustaining it. And David says, I'll meditate there. I'll spend some time there. When is the last time that you, in the midst of all of your trouble, simply sat and meditated on the greatness of God? I believe that if we would spend the majority of our time meditating on the greatness of our God, that the size of our problems would shrink. They shall speak of your might, of the might of your awesome deeds, and David says, when I see that, I will declare your greatness. David stops saying, yeah, but God, look at all of these enemies around me, look at all the problems around me. You just gonna let them get away with this? Are people going to get away with evil? Is the world going to remain unjust? Is all of this going to be true for very much longer? And David says, no, I need only to consider your greatness. As your work declares it to me, and I will declare back, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The Lord is great in majesty. Second, the Lord is great in goodness. He is great in goodness. Oh, how thankful we should be for this. Verse 7 says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Two ideas wrapped up into the same verse. One, his abundant goodness speaks to a benevolence of God that he is acting for the good of his people. We have a God who is a good God. Amen, church. He is so good. But not just His goodness in the, in the sense of benevolence, His moral perfection, His righteousness. He says, I shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Not only does God do what is good for us, He always does what is good, what is right. The Lord is great in His goodness. Goodness. He says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. All that I've seen of you, David says, all of your works that you've done, all that your word says, pours forth the fame of your abundant goodness. That you, you are doing good for your people and that you always do what is right. I am so thankful that that is the God that we serve. You know, in a world where you you got to wonder, does anybody really have your best interest at heart? I mean, am I right? Am I preaching the choir this morning? You, you got to wonder, does, does the government have our best interest at heart? Does my employer have my best interest at heart? Kids, <laughs> sometimes we wonder, do our parents have our, right, our best interest at heart? They do. They love Jesus. They do. But it's easy to get into a world where we think that everyone's out to get us. But not so with God. He's always good. Even this morning, Tim, this morning in Sunday school, talking about this, this story of Joseph. I love this. You meant it for evil. We get to the end of that story. But God meant it for good. When you face difficult circumstances, trials, suffering, even those things where you would say, how could this be good for anyone? Oh, God meant it for your good. You may not understand it. You may not see it. You may not be to the other side of it yet. But praise God, his character is good. Means he always acts good toward his people. Moral perfection, benevolence. The Lord is great in goodness. Third, the Lord is great in mercy. Oh, praise God for this. Because where God is always good and he's always right, I'm not. I'm not and you're not. But verse 8 says the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. They had experienced this in Israel, had they not? What a clear picture of disobedience for generations. (laughs) Why in the world would God ever be good to the people of Israel? And beyond that, why would He be good to us? And yet, for generation after generation, His loving kindness went forth. His graciousness, His mercy, even in His discipline, and even in the midst of His judgment, there was mercy and there was grace. And Israel experienced it in his relenting from his judgment and his punishment against them and in his, in, in his promise of the coming Messiah when he would establish them as a people forever. But you and I on this side of the cross have come to the place where we have experienced the greatest sense of the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God when Jesus went to the cross for us. Like, that's not something any of us deserved. And we tasted his mercy at the cross when our sins were forgiven and they were cast as far as the east is from the west. And we were restored to God and we got to know him in his glory and his goodness. That's the mercy of God, church. But at the same time, you and I as believers experience his grace and mercy every day of our lives in untold ways. There's ways that you could put your finger on and give testimony to. Absolutely. But there are ways that you experience his grace and his mercy every day that you don't even know about. (laughs) Because his, his mercy is great. He's great in his mercy. Certainly in the gospel. Friend, if you've never trusted in Christ and received his mercy, it is available and waiting right now for you. If you'll trust him. You'll turn from your sin and trust in Christ today. You'll receive His mercy. All of your sins forgiven. Your life where you've made a mess of things, God will begin to restore, and it's an amazing thing. But it will not happen because you do anything. It will be because Christ, Christ has done for you. And you need only to repent and turn to Him in faith. The Lord is great in mercy. Fourth, the Lord is great in authority. There is no mercy without authority. Can't have one without the other. And David says at the end of verse 13, the second half of verse or rather the, the the end to the first half of verse 13, but beginning in verse 11, he says they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and your glorious and the glorious splendor of your kingdom Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. You can just count them up there. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Three times we're told of the kingdom of God in three different verses. And that kingdom is one with infinite power. One where generation after generation after generation will know of the mighty deeds of God and it is everlasting There will not be a generation that will look back and say, where was God? Rather, every generation will know because His dominion endures throughout all generations. His kingdom has no end. Speaking of His rule and His reign, His kingship, His authority, Jesus Christ sovereignly reigns over all things. Amen? All things. Every problem, every earthly reign, every impossible circumstance, all all insurmountable odds, Jesus reigns there. And if we believe what we've already seen from God's word, that he is good, then we must trust in his authority to do perfectly what he intends to do. Because He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's great in authority. Fifth, the Lord is great in His faithfulness. The Lord is great in His faithfulness. There is some discrepancy here in the end of verse 13, a phrase that you and your translation may have in brackets that says the Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. We know from the best manuscripts That this was a part in Scripture, so it's there in brackets, depending on your translation. But verse 14 says the Lord upholds all who are failing and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. So you see his provision, you see his protection and raising up those who are falling. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. All of those verses validate the end of verse 13 that the Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. His faithfulness, His provision, His kindness, all of that. All of that. This faithful God who is loving, kind, who is Merciful, who is ever present in every single generation, he is always there. the Lord is faithful he's faithful to us he's great in his faithfulness. We sing the song, don't we? Great is thy faithfulness, new every morning we we believe we believe that God is faithful, and we must continue to trust in his faithfulness there's one more here number six and that is the lord is great in his salvation the lord is great in his salvation verse 18 says that the lord is near to all who call on him near nearness his presence His presence in in kindness and in grace and in mercy. It's not just nearness because God will be near to those who don't call upon him. Understand that, that his judgment is coming as he unleashes his wrath upon all who reject Christ. This nearness is is an affectionate nearness, a, a loving nearness, an enduring presence. And it says that his nearness is to all who call on him. What exactly does that mean? Well, David clarifies to all who call on him in truth. In truth. Not some version of him that we make up, not some uh, way that we're told in Scripture we should not respond to him, but could call upon him according to his word. And verse nineteen says that he fulfills the desires desire of those who fear him. What desire? Well, verse nineteen The end, he also hears their cry and saves them. It's a parallel statement. You can't get beyond that when you're studying Hebrew poetry. The first phrase is re-emphasized by the second phrase. He hears their cry and he saves them. That's the desire. This is the cry of David's heart. Oh God, would you, would you save me? I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy of your love, but you've given it to me freely. You are a merciful God. You are a good God. You're a holy God. Your faithfulness, God, is there. And and God, I need you to save me. (laughs) The Bible says that he hears that cry. This is similar to what we hear in Romans, that the Lord saves all who call upon him. Those who call upon the name of the Lord, what? What? shall be saved friend can I tell you this morning if you are here and you don't know Christ if you would call upon the name of the Lord this morning in truth the way the Bible calls you to in repentance and in faith God will save you oh how good our God is and that means that he will save you from the greatest problem in your life and that is your sin and And his impending judgment on your life, he'll save you from that. And if he'll save you from that, don't you think that he will sustain you all the way to the end to any other problem that you could face that are much smaller? The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. So David says that we should praise him. He's not limited today in his greatness. He's not limited. That's not on the table. But what is on the table is will we praise him in his unsearchable greatness? The question is not whether God is great. It's whether we will praise. You see, the final concern in the passage is that last verse. And here's where we'll close. It's the last phrase, really. And it says, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. If God is as great as He says that He is, then it's not enough that a few people in this room praise Him. A small amount. It is only enough when all of our hearts are poured out in praise before a God who is worthy of all of our worship. And when that reality compels us, To see to it that every bit of flesh on the planet praises him. Not primarily because of anything in them, but primarily because of who our God is. Are we convinced of his greatness? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to call you to two things this morning to those who are here who might be described in the category of the wicked in this passage, the ones that he will destroy, the ones who do not bless his name, who do not trust in his son. This morning, the call of Scripture is that you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Today, that you would... Stop living in your pride and in your rebellion against a holy God, but that you would give all that you are to praise him. And Jesus, 2000 years ago, gave his life for you on the cross because of your sin. That's the death that you and I deserved. And today, in, in trusting in that act, that one act, God says he'll so forgive your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone today, if you would give your life to Him in total surrender, today He'll save you. Some of you here this morning, you know Jesus. And today you just need to be reminded of the greatness of God and that your problems cast no shadow on Him. And today maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time confessing your fear, your anxiety your lack of faith, and you need to be stirred once again to trust in Him with all of your heart. Today, as you come before Him, confess your frailty and your weakness and His strength and trust Him with all that you are. So in just a few moments, we're going to open this altar. And after I pray, you are going to begin to come. Just encourage you to come. And this altar is open for you to come and spend some time with the Lord in prayer doing those things maybe there's other decisions that are laid on your heart or maybe you're here this morning and you say today I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to trust him so in just a few moments when I finish praying you come would you stand with me all across this room this morning as we pray together Lord Jesus we ask that you would have your way in our hearts and that you would remind us that you are greater than all we could ever face and that you have our good in mind as you sovereignly care for us. So we trust you today. We ask for you to move our hearts to respond to you in faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www southwidebaptist.com We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.